0: Never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't offer it any further. And welcome to this week's episode of the Top Five Report, the podcast that knows the answer is one zero one zero one zero, and that is well, truth. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Hey, man, howdy. Um, you know it's funny. Every time I say hi to you at the show, it always sounds like you're in school answering to uh, attendance. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, and I said howdy this week. And that's actually because I'm not the normal Peter that usually joins you on the show. Uh the CERN Hadron Collider was turned on this past weekend and uh I'm a, from a different dimension brought to you <laughs> brought to you by ah. the CERN Hadron Collider. So there you go.
0: <laughs> You're not you don't fall into the uh fifth dimension nonsense like Mr. Laker, do you?
1: <laughs> I mean if I could that, would make de- for, that
0: would make for an interesting show. So. <laughs> I think if I could have
1: deciphered the uh, binary solo that you just spouted off, I probably could be from the fifth dimension, but I don't think I'm quite there yet. So.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, sounds good to me. Um, well, hey, man, we got a lot to cover. Um, I thought news was going to be really, really light leading into the other day, and then it just exploded. Right. But it's all – when I say exploded, it's a lot of quick stuff. So maybe it is light. Who knows? Um, so let's get right into it, man. What are we watching, reading? What do we got? Yeah, so that's
1: actually not, or that's actually probably a good thing because my watching and reading is actually super light overall. Okay. Um, a couple of things I wanted to mention. Um, I did start watching uh, Bastard on Netflix, which is a new oh, yeah. anime series. And um, this is a series, I'm about four episodes in, and I'm really torn on it so far Because this is a series where the very first episode, I feel like, is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. Like, it was just so much fun. It's got this really, like, self-aware, like, kind of, like, role-playing game setting to the whole thing. Um, A lot of the fight scenes and stuff uh, kind of really remind you of... uh, a and d game as well as just how uh, certain things play out. Uh, the, the series is also like super confident and it's very um, I mentioned this last week, but it's very there's a lot of sort of like heavy metal like Easter eggs and stuff in the show. Before watching it, though, I had no idea how over the top that was going to (laughs) be like the main kingdom that the show takes place in is called Metallicana. And then there's also a kingdom they reference (laughs) named uh, Judas, the kingdom of Judas, obviously a Judas Priest reference. But it's just all over like the main character, um, Dart or sorry. The main character um yeah dark snyder who i'm pretty sure is uh influenced by d snyder from twisted sister he's a wizard and a lot of his spells reference bands like guns and roses or um even more obscure things like sodom and venom and stuff like that and it's one of those things where it's very over the top but it's very self-aware and confident and it just seemed like so much fun like the first episode i was just like This is exactly what I want. It's so amazing. And uh, I'm still liking it, but the episodes that come right after that, unfortunately, in my case, kind of lean a little bit more... It's hard to say for our podcast but they lean, lean a little bit more not safe for work, like a little more like erotically charged than I kind of was hoping, um, which is fine. But I think some of that those aspects are a little bit more over the top. Um, so it's one of those things I'm still enjoying the series, but compared to it, was kind of like the first episode felt like it was going in one direction that I was loving. And then the next three episodes went in a completely different direction that I didn't like as much. And I'm kind of just torn how I feel on it, but it is a short watch. So I'm going to watch the I'm probably going to finish this and then uh, give you a more thorough review (laughs) a little bit later on. If that makes sense. Um, Yeah. Let's see. Otherwise, um, I finished watching Stranger Things and I'm hoping you did as well because I want to get into that. What's that? I did. Awesome. (laughs) And I don't know if you want to jump into that
0: now or later. Uh, old, the om- oh, keep going. <laughs> things just a little bit because I just have a couple things to talk about. And then. Yeah.
1: OK, there's another uh, trailer I watched, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, but that's honestly it for me. And I don't know if you want to get into tra- trailers yet either. Now, so. we'll save
0: trailers for news, because I'm pretty sure you and I watched the same trailer. <laughs> um, <your> thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll talk about those in a little bit. Um. So my watching and reading, I am almost. I am. I just hit the five hundreds on Detective Comics. <laughs> nice. Um, remember how I said I was trying to read all of Detective Comics from the very beginning of Batman's first appearance appearance to current because I wanted to be able to say that I've read. Every issue of Detective Comics, well, there's like over a thousand at this point. Um, I actually don't know what the final number is. I'm not worried about it right now because I just hit the five hundreds um, and we're getting into the we're actually like into the Ra's al Ghul uh, era. Uh, which oh, cool. Is, so like at least the introduction of that character and whatnot and the books, it's really interesting because the there are storylines that are hitting the comics right now that we've seen modern retellings of in mm-hmm. Batman, the animated series. Oh, cool. Uh, which is kind of cool. Like when you get to the original tale of the laughing fish, um, mm-hmm. the joke, the Joker fish thing, and you know, that kind of stuff. And, like just little, little bits like that. And I'm just like, yeah, dude, they totally did that on Batman animated series. You know what I mean? They took some of <laughs> the best moments, like, you know, yeah, like, there's some rough, there are some rough stories still, but um, it's just been a, it's just been a really fun ride going through those. So, Anyway, um, I'm in the 500s. I got what 500 some more to go before I can say that I'm current. Um, <laughs> but I look forward to getting there. So, um, okay, nice things that I've watched. Um, I've been keeping up with the Orville. Um, Orville is basically Star Trek, but it's done by Seth MacFarlane. Um, I know we've talked about it on the show before. It was originally on Fox. Fox got bought by Disney. Orville got moved to Hulu still under Disney banner and it's been revamped and it's called Orville new horizons now. So you still want to watch the first two seasons from Fox. So it's all on Hulu. You still want to watch those, but then going into this new season, it's like they really know what the show is now. Nice. Really have a flush flushing out to it. The episodes are full hours and they feel like two hours. And the reason I say that is, <laughs> is because that good though. <laughs> well no, it's good because and this is why it's good, it's be, it's good because it's they're so dense. Okay. The social commentary, the way they're written is they're incredibly dense and emotional and you're just like and the character moments in these morality tales they're telling um that you're just like you want it to keep going and I'm checking the clock going, "Oh good, I still I'll have 20 more minutes. Like <laughs> like there's like they so got me sucked in. Um but the social commentary is incredible because they had an episode that social commentary, in this one episode, they covered election fraud, um election fraud, fake news, and abortion rights. And you're okay. just and like my brain was like on a social commentary level, I'm like, oh my god, this is incredible. And then then they, you know, and on top of that, they're throwing in the big, crazy space battles and, you know, that kind of thing. And you're just like this. Nice. Is, it's just really good writing. So what I'm going to say is check this show out. Um, the Fox seasons, the two the first two seasons were the ones on Fox. The show's good. I just feel like now that they're in like under this new direction of how they want the show to be. It's just a much more solid of a show, my opinion. But. Nice.
1: I've heard um I've heard like a lot of praise for The Orville. I haven't watched it myself, but I've heard even people say that like it started out as kind of like this goofy comedy show and yeah. I'm not sure if I'm assuming it still has those comedy elements, but I, I've heard people say that it's actually the Orville is what Star Trek should be right now. And a lot of people are giving the Orville more praise than some of the newer Star Trek shows, which I kind of think is pretty funny as well. And, <laughs> so. and I
0: have and I have heard that, too. Um, it it started out as like a it's Seth MacFarlane is a very big Star Trek fan and he's very vocal about that. So he goes and makes a show like because he wants he's like, you know, what? I want a piece of that. So he goes to make a show and it's all their own stuff. It's all original stuff. It's very clear that yeah. you've got Star Trek influence but it's all their own stuff. Um, yeah, there's definitely comic moments at Seth MacFarlane. But when they get to the serious stuff, they're telling like real morality tales, and real social commentary. And it's awesome. It's really cool. Um, nice. So I'm just really pleased with way they're going with the show. Um, I watched the movie The Lost City. Um, this is the movie where Sandra Bullock is the uh, romance writer. And she actually gets like the Dana Radcliffe plays the villain who thinks that she actually found something for real and takes her out into the jungle and helps her try and decipher all these like ancient codes. Oh. Like, do you remember this with uh, is, is, Tatum? Is, and this is the one is that this Brad the, hit at the end of the trailer with the long hair.
1: Well, is this the one where Daniel Radcliffe is running around in the jungle with a beard and he's shirtless a lot of the time? Um, no. Because I remember. OK, no. <laughs> There's some movie like that where everybody saw screenshots from and was like, Daniel Radcliffe has to play Wolverine. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> <laughs> which I thought was interesting. So as soon as you said the description, that's what I thought this was. But no, no I don't know if I'm familiar with this, but it kind of sounds like a fun movie. If uh, you go back, into our, if you go back
0: into our pi- podcast archive, you will find that I told you to watch this trailer. Okay, uh, but it's basically Sander Bullock's a romance writer who's writing this adventure book and her husband was an archaeologist her late husband her her husband had passed away in his previous life he was an archaeologist so like she so anything he was studying she would find a way to incorporate into her romance novels to create a sense of adventure like an indiana jones kind of adventure romance stuff and uh, Channing Tatum plays the guy that posed for all the photos. So he was like the cover model. The Fabio <laughs> almost. <laughs> he was like the Fabio for all the cover photos. Yeah. And Sandra Bullock, she writes his book about this thing. And Daniel Radcliffe is this eccentric millionaire that thinks that she was right, that everything she put in the book is truth. And he like kidnaps her and like forces her to help to, and actually solve the puddle, puzzle to find the buried treasure. Well, Channing Tatum's like, no, we got to get her back, and mounts his own rescue to try and save her, and he contacts Brad Pitt, who's an actual guy that would do this, (laughs) Um, and they go out into the jungle to try and rescue her and stuff. Here's the thing. The best way I could describe this is it's a very, very cheesy romantic action comedy. Um it sounds like a fun ride, if it's nothing a, else. It is a fun ride. It's just a it's just cheesy romantic uh action comedy is the best way to word it. And um uh it reminded me a lot of a modern day Romancing the Stone. Okay. So if you've seen Romancing the Stone, it just I felt like it was a very modern day version of that. Uh it was just a lot of fun. So that's my review there. Just check it out. It was a lot of fun. Um It was one I saw the trailer going, I really want to check this out. And when we sat down to watch a movie, I was like, Uncharted or Lost City? It it sounds – well, keep going, sorry. (laughs) Well, my kid really wants to watch Uncharted, but he was not in the mood for a movie. So I was like, all right, we'll save Uncharted and watch Lost City.
1: I think it's funny that you brought up Uncharted because I don't know if this is just something I'm making up, but I thought uh, Channing Tatum was either – signed on for an Uncharted film a long time ago, like before Tom Holland took up the role, or maybe he was just a fan cast for, uh, is it Nathan Drake, the main character from Uncharted? Uncharted. Yeah. And, and I don't know if, I don't know if Channing Tatum was signed on for that movie or if he was just a fan cast, but I, I might be making this up, but I thought like, He had some sort of connection to Uncharted, which is kind of a funny meta sort of weird (laughs) parallel with this new uh, Lost City movie
0: that you're talking about. Uh, Check it. It, I'm just saying check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, Otherwise, yes, I watch Stranger Things. So let's talk about this. Sweet. (laughs) Um, Okay, so first off, uh, Stranger Things volume season four, volume two, episode eight and nine. Um, I really feel like eight had some really, really cool moments, especially yeah. like the helicopter sequence in the desert and then finding 11 and then the stuff underneath the, 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 um, Nina and like that whole facility and then getting Hopper out of the, the cool like attack. I don't remember. Was that, was the cool Russian attack in nine or was that an eight? With all That's, the death, that's with all my the
1: issue is, um. Everything's of, kind of blending
0: together a little bit well, the for Hopper, me. But I feel like the Hopper story kind of blended a little bit in those two episodes. But yeah, um, the stuff in Russia was really cool with the Demogorgon attack on the Russian base and everything. Um, the yeah, so episode eight is honestly kind of a blur the way it all kind of fed into nine. Yeah, um, I don't know what your thoughts on that are, but I mean, it just I felt like those episodes bled together a little bit. Um, I'm really, honestly, I'm surprised that I was wrong wrong about Steve dying. Yeah. (laughs) And just because they were setting it up big time for that moment and he's still alive. So I was like, okay, maybe, (laughs) you know, um, (laughs) and it sucks that Eddie went, I really wanted more of Eddie, but that's okay. Um, Max is Max dead is max in a coma is max still in the grip of vecna that is something i'm really curious about Mm. um i do think there's the idea that she's still in the grip of Vecna. the fan theories online right now about will being controlled by vecna or still being attached to the upside down um have been kind of interesting to see poking around online a little bit um yeah the season i feel like the season the one, my one complaint is I feel like when I got to the end of the episode nine, I felt that kind of, I know we're going into season five, five. Yeah. but I do feel like a lot of things got kind of wrapped up. Like, I did not okay. feel like they left a lot. I didn't feel like they left a lot hanging, um, but things I, got wrapped up, I feel like a little bit in cert, in certain aspects, but go ahead.
1: No, I think you're right. I think what's left hanging is the um, upside down and um, what's going to happen with that. The upside down obviously has a new connection to the real world. Um, it seems that there's a major breach and uh, those two worlds are very <laughs> a major connected. Br- major breach is an uh, understatement. <laughs> here, but, yeah. Um, I'm just kind of spitballing and trying to come up with a way to describe it, but you know what I mean? But it's just kind of, I feel like that's the major loose thread. You're right. And a lot of it, you know, you've got the main gang back together again and stuff. And there is a lot of, uh, there's not a lot to tie up. And so it will be interesting to see how the next uh, season moves forward. Um, I'm glad you mentioned fan theories. Cause I'm seeing theories all over the place. Um, I too, obviously I've been talking about how I thought Eddie was such a cool character on this podcast for weeks, to be honest. and like, I am I am to see him go, or sad to see him go. I have seen like a cool fan theory that I guess in uh, Dungeons & Dragons, I guess Vecna's right-hand man is a uh, vampire, and uh, mm. that right-hand man uh, ends up betraying Vecna or whatever from the uh, campaign that he's from. So a lot of people are speculating that Eddie's going to be brought back as that right-hand man, which... I think seems pretty badass. you <laughs> like, had a really metal way to go out. And I was that's just going like to say, it seems, more metal metal. <laughs> yeah. it seems kind of metal. Yeah. It seems kind of metal to bring it back. So. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And then the same things that you mentioned with Max and Will. Like I feel like once a character has a connection to the Upside Down, um, that connection doesn't go away. And uh, relating back to uh, Steve Harrington uh, Her- and how he was bitten by one of Vecna's bats as well as breathing in a lot of the upside down dust or matter or whatever you want to call it. Maybe there's going to be more to come of that. uh, That could be pretty interesting this next season, but uh, no, I loved this season. I do kind of like, I felt like the last two episodes, like I feel like the first seven episodes I was so hyped on and the last two I don't know if they went too fast or if they blurred together. or I felt like a little bit underwhelmed by them, but I think it's because in the first seven episodes, so many new things were revealed and stuff. And then it came to the end. We were kind of just watching everything play out, but I still think this is a great show. And uh, season four was probably my second favorite season. I feel like everybody's saying this, but next to season one, like this is the second best season of stranger things there's been. So I'm, wholeheartedly
0: like really satisfied about this this last season we got <laughs> yeah same um it's interesting that you bring up uh the length of the season and stuff like that or the length of the sh- episodes and that kind of thing um they've the duffer brothers specifically said the stranger things season five won't be the length of season four so right it makes me wonder if we're going to get either i feel like we're going to get a shorter number of episodes so like from like nine to maybe six or seven but longer episodes. Um, they said yeah. that the series finale will be over two hours, which is great. But the reason they said it won't be a shorter season is because there won't be any character development. They won't have to do any character setup. And I don't want to compare Stranger Things to Game of Thrones, but in the grand scheme of things, by the time you get to that final season, there is no more character development. Yeah. You know what I mean, and maybe when people complain about Game of Thrones, they don't aren't thinking about that. And you know what I mean. I don't know, um, but I just thought that was interesting that they're like, yeah, we're going to do a shorter season because we could everything's now like, you know, we don't have to do any character development anymore. And I'm like, that's a good point. Like we know everything we need to know going into this final battle or whatever if you want to call it. That. So
1: <laughs> right on, and that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, and I don't know how much um, more you have to say on the season besides what we've said. I did see one other cool fan theory that I wanted to touch on because sure. somebody—it was actually a TikTok that my wife showed me—but it was somebody saying that. Stranger Things has been like Dungeons and Dragons obviously has such a big influence on the show. And every season there's been the main villain. So you had like the Demogorgon and then you had the Mind Flayer Flayer. And now we have Vecna and it's all been Dungeons and Dragons references. And somebody was like, I'm pretty sure in the last season there's going to be a dragon. Because how could you have a show that's so closely tied to Dungeons and Dragons and not have a giant dragon monster that they have to fight at the end? And I was just like, you know, I really hope they do that. And that sounds badass. <laughs> so
0: well, not only that, but that shadow, whatever monster yeah. it is, what if the dragon comes out of that? We're just seeing like the sh- right on. The, you know what I mean? And then this comes all the way back to my theory. The boys are just sitting around a table playing Dungeons and Dragons right on (laughs) yeah you know if I'm wrong I'm wrong if I just called it sorry I spoiled it for you and the same time hey that's awesome but I just think it'd be like I mean and maybe that's not the best way to end a show like this but I think it'd be cool so yeah I don't know I don't know what they're gonna how they're gonna end it
1: but um Hopefully we love it. I feel like a lot of people are going to hate it because that's usually what happens with uh, series finales of popular shows. <laughs> so, yeah. Or let's hope or for the
0: did best. You see, did you see the? Um, there was posts when This Is Us was ending about how everyone will be satisfied with the ending of the show. Not only did we not hear anything about anyone complaining or. We didn't hear any complaining and we didn't hear any satisfaction stuff. I really feel like it was just like every, the show ended and everyone just kind of forgot that it ended. <laughs> it ended. No one <laughs> seemed to notice. Like, you know, I don't know. Interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> At any rate, um, I don't really have much else to say on it either because like after seeing that giant rift through the thing, you're just like, okay, that new, that super gate, if you will, it's like, all right, things are about to get real. I can't wait to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But it makes me wonder, are we going to pick up right where they left off with the gate like that? Or are we going to pick up with the Upside Down and Full Swing season five? Do you know what I mean? That's Um, really
1: interesting because there usually is a time gap, like like every season.
0: Almost in a Walking Dead kind of a sense where, like, you're just three months in and, like, the world has gone to complete Upside Down nonsense. And there's Demogorgons and bats and monsters and, like, people are, like, now in, like, this Mad Max... um, setting where like it's just clear super post-apocalyptic craziness you know so that is yeah that's kind of blowing my mind thinking about that who knows <laughs> um, right exactly so I mean we could be on this all night if we don't stop us so um, but yeah like let's see what happens I mean like I said if they a lot, I think what, what could happen is, is a lot of the fan theories could be blown completely out the water if they jump right into the upside down nonsense and they don't even give you time to breathe and process what happened, um, because that could be that could very well be what's going to happen. Um, yeah. Or they pick up right where they left off. And we learn about all this stuff and creatures are coming through and attacking houses. And we do need to get a little catch up with the kids and the parents, I think, because um the parents learned about how their kids are in like in this cult, which isn't really a cult because I think the parents are smart enough to know, <laughs> no, they're just playing a board game. What do you what's wrong with Yeah. You? And I and I honestly, because the show is dealing with the whole satanic panic thing from the eighties, yeah. I really think the parents of those kids need to be the smart ones to say, it's just a board game. Yeah. Like I I really do because they because all the D and D praise from the beginning of the show up until this season, when you started dealing with the Satanic Panic stuff, the looks the parents gave each other in a couple of those episodes, like just a cult. What are you guys talking about? You know what I mean? Like,
1: so <laughs> the problem is the problem is they were chasing around this in quotes, like, cult that they thought that uh, some of the high school kids were in. And then all of a sudden, from one of the parents' perspectives, a gateway to hell has been opened (laughs) in their town, So I don't think that the satanic panic is going to uh, calm down
0: anytime soon. I don't Uh, think it's going to calm down. (laughs) I don't think it's going to calm down. But when you look at, like, Mike's parents, the way they looked at each other, it's like, my kid's wrapped up in what? hold on. This is just a board game. You know what I mean? Right on. Yeah. They gave each other. And that's why I want it's the parents of the boys, just them, the rest of the town. It doesn't matter, but those parents of the boys need to be very like, no, it's just a board game. What's wrong with you people? You know what I mean? So, yeah,
1: I, I agree with that, but I could still, I kind of still hope that, uh, Michael's dad is still just wrong about everything. Cause he cracks <laughs> me up because of how clueless and, uh, kind of sure. lazy he is about
0: it. Sure. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, hey, let's move on. The other thing that I watched and I'm pretty sure you did too was the Clerks 3 trailer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you if we if we thought Jane Silent Bob reboot was meta, this is meta. <laughs> in a big Absolutely. One. Um, this is Kevin Smith telling, now he talked on he talked on one of his podcasts about the exact plot of Clerks 3 about him it's about him having the heart attack and then making the movie that he made a long time ago so you're basically getting it's almost like getting to watch the behind the scenes of the original clerks filming through the eyes of the characters of clerks (laughs) yeah um so but it was great like seeing the nods where they're like we should talk about the whole death star contractors thing that you know you and i used to argue about like that's so funny because it's You know, that's straight from the first movie, and then he makes the Disney joke. Um, But seeing the black and white footage, (laughs) um, the one call out from the trailer that really caught me was Kevin Smith really did film an extra scene where Dante got shot at the end, and he cut it from the film, so that never got released. And in oh, the trailer okay. in the trailer Randall talks about a, he's like what when Dante freaks out about the scene cuz he's like no this is where you get shot at the end he's like I'm not coming to work and dying here <laughs> um or something in the trailer something to that effect but I thought that was really cool that they put that in because Kevin Smith really did write a scene where Dante died and they cut it from the movie That's uh, crazy. <laughs> so what do you think of the trailer?
1: I <laughs> It was awesome. You just like what you just said. I actually, I might have heard that at one point, but I totally forgot about it. If I did, so I'm just thinking like we wouldn't have gotten this trailer or Clerks too if that ever happened, you know, if Dante <laughs> yeah. died at the end. But uh, no, I think this trailer looks great. Um, it's kind of hard to know what to say because um, you did really sum it up. It's, it is a really meta kind of weird fictional retelling of like the story of the original Clerks or the making of the story of the original Clerks movie. But uh, I think it's interesting. Um, Kevin Smith has always talked about how Dante is more or less based after him when he used to work at the Quick Stop. And uh, Randall is actually based uh, more on Brian Johnson from Comic Book Men who used to work with Kevin Smith. And so... Clerks Three kind of reverses the roles where it's uh it's almost like a a fictional story if like Brian Johnson was the one to make the original Clerks but uh no this looks hilarious it looks like compared to the first Clerks movie like Jay and Silent Bob obviously had a big part in Clerks two but in the first movie I feel like they were more just kind of like side or background characters and it's it's always fun to see them have more of a uh, more of the spotlight it seems like they've got like a ton of talking lines and parts in this movie um also I think it's funny um is it Elias from Clerks 2 the uh the guy who was like who they worked with who is like hardcore Christian and stuff it's kind of funny because it looks like he's like a goth kid now (laughs) which is pretty amusing because he like follows that sort of trend I don't know if you've had any of those like friends from grade school or high high school who were like just their family was super hardcore Christian. And then as soon as they were out on their own, they went like completely the opposite way, like just really dark and satanic and stuff. And Elias just totally fits into that trend, which I thought was pretty hilarious. But um yeah, I don't know. I'm excited about this one. I don't know. I'm trying to think of other specifics to point out. I've already watched the
0: trailer twice but yeah i don't know i watched it twice i watched it once (laughs) on my phone and then i got home and i watched it on a larger screen because i wanted to sink into it but yeah the uh i i'm just really i was excited when he said he was doing it i've been excited through like all the building up and listening to him on talk about it on his podcast but um yeah mine i'll be there and i had to wait on jay and Santa Bob reboot because of the way they did their release with the select theater traveling around oh yeah i hope that this one goes straight theater and it seems that way um so i can just get a ticket and go so
1: yeah good call um yeah i always forget about that like waiting months to see this new kevin smith movie because it was the same way with the uh jay and silent bob super groovy cartoon movie is like they toured with that for like yeah i feel like a year or two and then eventually i was like finally able to see it (laughs) So, but, uh, it is what it is, but yeah, it looks awesome. So I'm excited.
0: Yeah. Right on. Well, uh, clerks three is coming. I can't wait. Um, neither can you apparently, but let's (laughs) talk about news stuff. Um, since we're on the realm of stranger things, since we discussed that, um, the, is that it? No. Um, stranger things, uh, they're greenlighting. Um, Stranger Things spinoff series. They're okay. um, developing a spinoff Stranger Things new series will be based on original idea from Matt and Ross Duffer. Um, no details on the story or characters were provided. Um, I'm not surprised that there's a spinoff series. Um, hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's hopefully it expounds the story, but I also don't want them to jam it down our throats. So give us a little bit of a breather after after the finale before you jump down another series (laughs) yeah good call um you know like i feel like i feel like the weight we had right now from game of thrones to house of the dragon is like the perfect breathing in my opinion um it was i feel like it was just enough time especially for a show that's going to get a spin-off uh you don't want to go too far away but
1: yeah absolutely
0: um the also in the realm of stranger things where'd it go Uh, I literally, where did it go? As I'm losing my, I hit, I I moved the screen and then I was like, wait, where'd this story go? (laughs) Yeah, no, that was it apparently. Oh no, there it is. Uh, yeah, that's it. The Duffer Brothers, uh, Matt and Ross Duffer. Um, this, uh, Okay. They are going to be making a live-action Death Note series. Yeah, uh, I saw this. <laughs> Um, Okay, I've seen the anime. It's amazing. Oh, you've actually watched it? Yeah, and this is oh sweet. Totally, yeah, and this is totally a Stranger Things creators kind of thing, and it just it's just totally up their alley. This is yeah. if I was going to someone to say let's do live-action Death Note, I'd be like, well, yeah, get those guys. Um. What's weird to me is that they have the anime, then they have the live-action movie, which some people have don't like. I have not watched the live-action movie, but now we're going to do a live-action show version of it. I just feel the Duffer Brothers, I mean, it could have been their decision, but why would they jump on uh, a already existing property as opposed to creating something new? Right. Like, I feel like that's a little bit more up their alley to create their own stuff. By all means. If they're going to be handling live action Death Note, my butt's going to be in a seat for it because that sounds awesome. But you see, what I don't know if you see what I'm saying, but that's just my thoughts on that. Like, you know, why would they just jump on a pre-existing property? But
1: no, that's a good call. Um, I'm actually kind of I didn't realize you watched uh, Death Note, Drew, because, uh, yeah, I kind of want to talk to you about that more probably
0: off the podcast. (laughs) Well, we can talk about we can talk about it on the podcast, too. I, for some reason, thought I mentioned that I watched it a long time ago, but that's okay. Uh, the amount of stuff that you and i talk about with things we watch you know it probably slipped (laughs) because because death note's like probably one
1: of my favorite animes i've ever seen like it's so good and it's so smart but um the movie okay so now you have to watch the netflix movie um it is it is pretty gory so so be warned about that and it'll be interesting to see what you think because it's definitely a different thing than uh The actual Death Note anime and a lot of the anime fans don't like the Netflix movie because it took a different direction and certain characters are really, really different in the movie and stuff like that. Like the general story is the same for the most part, at least the premise, but it's still like a different thing. And I think that the Netflix movie is entertaining, and I kind of like it as kind of a random horror movie, but as an anime adaptation, it definitely misses the mark in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. Uh And I think that's kind of the thing where the Duffer brothers can come in and do an adaptation of Death Note, and if they kind of stick closer to the source material, it's going to be much more well-received, and the original live-action movie that Netflix did can kind of almost kind of just get memory hold for everybody if that makes sense and like I said it is it's not bad like it's a it's an enjoyable watch it just I think as an adaptation if you are just looking at it as an adaptation it does mix uh miss the mark in certain ways so um yeah but I don't know I think this is awesome I think a lot of people have talked about um Stranger Things having similarities to I haven't watched it, but I know people say that Elfin Lead or Elfen Lied the anime um, obviously has a big influence on Stranger Things. I guess the character uh, Eleven is really similar to the main character from El- Elfen Lied, and then also like uh, if you watch Akira, I feel like there's a lot of similarities, and I feel like the Duffer Brothers probably do have a appreciation for anime even though that's not necessarily the most obvious homages that they play to things
0: if that makes sense so yeah yeah absolutely well we'll see i'm gonna watch it but i just (laughs) i I I was surprised because i was like i feel like these guys are more of the make your own stuff as opposed to existing property stuff
1: and maybe (laughs) it's maybe it's the sort of thing where it's like they just did Stranger Things. They just did did this big, epic original series, and uh, now Let's they're going to do an adaptation. Our, yeah, yeah, exactly, and then they'll come back to blow our minds with some other original concept a little bit later.
0: Yeah, well, let me blow your mind with this, because <laughs> in the world of Marvel, um, we have the Echo Show coming uh, for Disney+. Plus, oh, right, right. I was very pleased to see this today, daredevil stars charlie cox and vincent d'onofrio will be returning for marvel's echo perfect um with the echo series i knew we were getting into daredevil uh, area and we have a new daredevil show on the way and marvel's been great with crossovers but this made me just excited to get to see those characters again and it makes echo shape up to be even cooler show than it was so um at least in my mind that it was going to be so i'm excited to see this um, I just wanted to bring that up and say, hey, breaking news, they're coming back. So we're going to get to see more Kingpin and Daredevil in the Echo show.
1: No, absolutely. And I think um Daredevil's obviously a street level character in New York. And I feel like in an Echo show, like, why wouldn't Daredevil show up once or twice? You know, yeah. I always that's that's the big conundrum with superhero movies and shows and comics is when there's some big, crazy event going on and you're like, well, you know, where's this superhero and this superhero and you know whoever else, you know. Sometimes it's like, why is only the one main character of this movie showing up to this like world-ending
0: event sort of thing? Right. So I like seeing the uh, crossovers like that. Um, and then in we got Thor coming out this weekend. Um, I have my ticket. <sighs> yes, I'm seeing it on Saturday. So I'm gonna hang up. This we're gonna put pot pot. We're gonna finish recording tonight, and I'm gonna be my butt's gonna be in a seat Saturday morning. Nice. I'm really interested to see how this plays out because the premiere happened, and I've seen some Marvel specific reviews that have been coming out saying it's one, it's the best Thor film ever. But I saw some early critic opinions saying that this is the worst comic book movie since Batman and Robin. (laughs) Um, Oh man. (laughs) Now here's what I'll say to that. I can't judge it until I've seen it. However, Marvel's had a really good run and I'd like to think they're smart enough to not end up in the Batman Robin category, but there's also the issue that it's more of a when, as opposed to if someone eventually is going to make a, movie that falls into that category so right this i mean this could be that for marvel i don't know i'll see it saturday and have a better review
1: <laughs> i mean we're it is we are going on 15 years of the mcu at this point yeah. like i think yeah. this sure. would be the 14th year so yeah hopefully it's pretty good but yeah we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how it goes <laughs> yeah
0: um thor for director changed gore's look to avoid voldemort comparisons
1: Oh, that's that's very interesting.
0: Yeah. Director Taika Waititi says that Gore the Butcher looks like Voldemort in the comic books. So some changes needed to be made. His face in the comic books, unfortunately, does kind of resemble Voldemort. So I was like, people are just going to automatically going to make the connection. So we decided to depart from the design a bit and sort of keep the elements of the tone and the fact that he had the sword. Really, it was all about that's his story as opposed to, you know, and it was the most important thing to us. And that's Taika Waititi's quote there. Um, I'm totally down with that. I would rather I mean, we might make jokes anyway that, oh, look, it's Voldemort's brother. but you know, <laughs> we, might, we might make our own jokes, but I thought that was interesting that they ended up changing that uh, specifically. So, um.
1: yeah, I'm just trying to, like, think it like of, like, a pun, like, can we call him, like, Fodemart, or, like, something like fake Voldemort? I don't know, but, um, I do think that's a good point. Like, I think, um, Gore, when you look up pictures of the character facially yes like does look really similar to Voldemort part of me does feel like maybe that's just a cop-out like maybe they could have kept the original design but just changed it up slightly like maybe he has a weird crease in the middle of his face that differentiates himself from Voldemort but I do think that is an interesting point that I I didn't think of uh when I first saw Christian Bale as Gore like He does, the face at least, does look a lot like Voldemort. So that is a defense
0: that I think is valid. Well, what I love about the story is that it shows the point that there is adaptation from page to screen that sometimes has to be done. Yes. Sometimes it doesn't work for certain reasons and you need to make adjustments. So when people whine and moan and complain, you can go, look, there is an adaptation process and some things have to be adjusted because it doesn't translate It translates differently on the page compared to on the screen. When you're reading a comic book and you turn the page and that's how it is, well, that's your acceptance. And you're usually like, yeah, that's how it is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so when you want them to recreate it on screen, yeah, you want it to be the comic book. But at the same time, you have to adjust for the fact that what's on that page might not work. So another thing I've
1: heard. Another thing I've heard, and I can't remember who it was, but I read an interview with some director or something talking about how the average movie going audience actually is less accepting of like really weird outlandish costumes and creatures and stuff compared to the average nerd or comic book fan like you know as nerds mm-hmm. we're like all for like weird looking yeah. aliens and stuff but the average movie go- goer like all you the know, normies out there doesn't necessarily accept and suspend their disbelief as much and that does factor into character design in these movies right so. i had i
0: had the i had a similar conversation with someone when ant-man was coming out because yeah. they're like ant-man what are they just making this stuff up now <laughs> and my response to that was your comment would be no different if Spider-Man came second. Right. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, if Ant-Man was the big popular one and then they were coming out with the Spider-Man movie, you'd be like, what, they have a Spider-Man now? (laughs) And they were just like, oh, that's a good point. Like, (laughs) True. Yeah. Anyway, um, in the realm of uh, casting and stuff, um, Taika Waititi is working on Thor Love and Thunder with Natalie Portman who plays Jane Um, Natalie Portman in a conversation with Taika Waititi asked what he was doing after Thor and he was talking to her about Star Wars and this is this is the best story ever Taika Waititi is talking to her about the Star Wars project he's working on and he says have you ever been have you ever thought about being in a Star Wars movie I might want you to come join me (laughs) And (laughs) (laughs) and Natalie Portman had to say well I was in Star Wars movies Ultimately, Taika Waititi forgot that Natalie Portman played Padme Amidala in this. (laughs) Right. Um, That made me laugh so heartily it had to be talked about on the show. Um, All right. Another (laughs) another Marvel news. Moving on. Um, Taron Egerton says he's met with Marvel. And he is hoping to be cast as Wolverine. Hmm. This um, sounds great. Yeah. Um, and I'm totally behind it. I wonder if Taron Edgerton met with Marvel, unsure of what he's possibly being asked to read for. And he's just hoping it's Wolverine. <laughs> like, I wonder if he went in being told, hey, you're reading for Wolverine or they were like, hey, Marvel wants to meet with you. Um, and he's like, oh, they want me for Wolverine. <laughs> I I like
1: the idea of, like, they don't tell him who it is, but for some reason yeah. his character is saying "Bub" a lot, and there's a lot of snicked sound effects between <laughs> the lines of dialogue and stuff, so he could just figure it out. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what I like about this story is he is somebody who is on nobody's shortlist to play Wolverine, I know. but when you hear it, you're like... Yeah, I could see that. And that's, I think, the best kind of comic book casting you can have. It's like you don't expect them to be cast as that person, but they honestly fit the bill 100 percent. I feel like um, I felt the same way with like Gal Gadot and uh, Henry Cavill, like when both of those uh, actors were announced for DC movies like oh, I wasn't really familiar with this person, but they seem like a great fit. And that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from this. So we'll see yeah. how it goes. Yeah.
0: Um, In terms of another care, another actress um, talking to Marvel, apparently Margot Robbie is in final talks for a major Marvel role. Oh, man. This is rumor. This comes from Giant Freaking Robot and um, they are correct on a lot of things. So whatever their sources are bringing them to this, Margot Robbie is in final talks for a Marvel major role. And as you read through the article, there's a lot of fluff about her being in Suicide Squad and all this other stuff and working, you know, with DC, blah blah blah. Um, the role that they are rumored to be talking to her about is Emma Frost, the White Queen. Yes. <laughs> and your voice—that's <laughs> what and I was. No, that's. And that's the what way I was you said. Yes, means you have you were already thinking that. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you. Um, it wasn't Christina Hendricks. It was, uh, Jordan January Jones played Emma Frost in the X. Yeah. Not the, nothing against her because I had no problem with who she was. Margot Robbie. Oh man. Some of those, like just some of the artist renditions of Emma Frost. I am totally got, this is perfect casting. Um, and that's just based on artist renditions. Forget the writing. Like, yeah, Margot Robbie, Dundee. D- you know what I mean? That makes sense to me.
1: No, absolutely. So. As soon as you started talking about it, um, yeah, that's the first character that I thought of. So I couldn't believe- Because I was going to ask you, like, who would you cast her as? But I was thinking Emma Frost the whole time. So that's really funny. Um, yeah, the the big takeaway from this, and it seems like it's rumored, but- Sounds like Marvel's working on a reboot of the X-Men, so I think that's pretty exciting. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think we knew that,
0: but I hear you. Um, okay. Um, hey, National Treasure, remember that show was coming to Disney Plus? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sure we talked about it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> really? You don't remember that? So there's a National Treasure series coming to Disney Plus. I was pretty I- recently we talked about this, right? Um, I mean, it was probably in one of the D23 announcements when I said, okay. hey, was coming? Um, it's going to be titled the Edge National Treasure Edge of History. Sounds great. I'm in. That the idea of doing a National Treasure show just sounds like it, that sounds too good of an idea to not to pass up. No, yeah. So I'm not surprised it's coming. It just sounds cool. I'm in. Um, and I like the title. That's all there is. It's just that's all we got. And the dude who played Nicolas Cage's friend right. were, i yeah. don't remember the actor's name but that guy he is reprising his role for the show uh, <laughs> is nicholas cage coming back i don't think so i think oh, I, the, the, the get act, I think cage, the only right? actor turning is that guy weird okay yeah but he did write a book that they all made fun of him for so maybe this you know dives into his book a little bit <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. uh, i did like that character and i like that actor a lot
0: but it's just like Man, you got to get Nicolas Cage back. I mean, what are you doing? Um, we have a Godzilla vs. King Kong sequel. Report- Sweet. Reportedly has a release date of March 15th, 2024. Um, Sweet. Yeah, the Ides of March. So uh, we'll be looking for that. Um,
1: I room- wonder who they're going to bring in this time, like any new monsters or something. That's fun yeah, to think about. Yeah.
0: Um. Rumor. After test screening. There is an end credit scene of the Black Adam film where Superman shows up after a call from Amanda Waller. Okay. Um, It's a test screening. We don't know what the footage is yet. It could get cut. I just thought it was cool that there's a bonus scene where Amanda Waller calls Superman because Black Adam's a problem. Yeah, I like it. I think that just sounds cool. Um, I
1: feel like it's been so up in the air, what's going on with Superman. That could be a cool thing to point out the outlook of like what we're doing with what the
0: yeah. DCU is going to do moving forward. So, um, and then avatar news, James Cameron is got some quotes going on right now. And it sounds like he's getting mad at people who don't like Avatar. Um, <laughs> I think I saw this as well. <laughs> I don't have a problem with avatar. So James Cameron, since clearly you're listening I don't have a problem with it. I just, I think my frustration is the fact that we waited so long to get an avatar movie. And I don't think the world cares as much as you want them to. However, we are going to all be in our seats because we all want to see what's next. Um, but the thing I thought was funny is um, James Cameron doesn't want anyone whining about the length of the movie. Now, based on this quote, I'm willing to vent. The movie is easily three hours long. Yeah. However, I love this quote is so funny. He says, I don't want anyone whining about the length when they sit and binge watch TV for eight hours. (laughs) I can almost write this part of the review. The agonizing long three hour movie. It's like, give me an effing break. I watched my kids sit and do a five one hour episodes in a row. Here's a big social paradigm shift that has to happen. It's okay to get up and go pee. (laughs) It makes me laugh because people people complain about the length of movies all the time, and then they sit on their couch and they watch five hours of television, or they sit on the couch and will binge watch Stranger Things and sit there for ten hours. It's whole, that's that's really funny that he says it like that, and it's something I don't think a lot of us thought about. And as much as you and I talk about the length of run <laughs> times and things, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so. it's it's a pacing thing. Like I think hour
1: long TV episodes they have like you're guaranteed to really to reach either some kind of conclusion or cliffhanger within an hour. And I think when you go into two to three hour movies like that's harder to sometimes it's harder to keep people's attention. So it's really a pacing thing. But I think it's a little bit like James Cameron, like it's kind of your job to make your three hour movie not feel like three hours because I've seen three-hour movies that just flew by, super fast. But then I've also seen ninety-minute movies that were hard to get through <laughs> and felt like they were and four it, hours
0: long. So it I, really depends. It does, and I saw a four-hour movie recently that didn't feel it nearly like four hours. What 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 four-hour movie was it? Just curious. Justice League. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> I honestly thought you were gonna be with me on that and you're like, what movie Oh no no <laughs> No,
1: no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. My brain was going somewhere else, but it's all Yeah, good. clearly. <laughs> but hey. no, that is actually is a good point. Like Zack Snyder's Justice League definitely flies by, so
0: Yeah. Um anyway, let's um that's it for the news, man. So uh that's uh yeah, that's it for the news. Let's nice jump into the list, shall we? Absolutely. Cool, man. Let's talk about that and roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right. Peter, this was, this was my list pick for the week. Um, and I just thought this would be Different and interesting to talk about black and white movies, monochrome, if you will. Um, For the longest time, movies were not shot in color. They were shot in black and white. So this opens up a really broad situation of, like, looking into the past and looking at movies, looking to current. Um, When I looked at this, I do have current movies on my list, and I only have one. I only have one classic. Yeah, Wow. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I only have one classic. Um, and that's just, uh, that's just how the thing fell when I was like going through and <laughs> one that's kind of a cheat, to be completely honest, but you'll understand when I talk about it. Um, but yeah, I don't know what you thought or how you turn inter- and how this list shaped up for you.
1: So I think I might have more classics than you, but it also depends on how you define classic. But uh,
0: no, this was a fun list Uh, because classic in my head is everything pre Jaws.
1: Oh, okay. So I have. um, (laughs) I might have. I might have four classics. When did Jaws come
0: out? 1975.
1: Yeah, I have four classics within my top five.
0: (laughs) No, I know. No, I know (laughs) that. No, I know that. 1975 they were definitely shooting in color at that point but jaws kind of reshaped the industry a little bit yeah well in my opinion there's the era pre-jaws and there's the era post-jaws and then you get and then jaws opens the gate for star wars and then star wars boom you have that because of the special effects (laughs) bump you know
1: that's why i measure time by uh A.J. and uh, B.J., I guess, before Jaws.
0: <laughs> but, hey, um, don't laugh. It's a thing. You have the pre-Jaws era, you have the post-Jaws era. And this, OK, so check this out. Pre-Jaws oh, – I'm going to go on a huge tangent here. Pre-Jaws era, we know what film was, right? Jaws comes out, and Jaws is the first what is considered a blockbuster, right? It's the first film to coin the term blockbuster, summer blockbuster. Then, a couple years later, they released Star Wars, and Star Wars changes the game when it comes to special effects, right? But check this out Jaws was directed by Steven Spielberg, Star Wars directed by George Lucas. Then we jump X amount of years later, and George Lucas is wanting to make the prequels, but the tech's not there. So, what does Steven Spielberg do? He makes Jurassic Park. Yep. And he shows everyone what computers can do. And George goes, huh, that's what computers do now. And he starts making Star Wars movies again. In this really weird shift, the industry hit Jaws, Spielberg, a couple years later, Star Wars, George Lucas, jump up to Spielberg doing it again with Jurassic Park. A <laughs> couple years later, Star Wars again. Isn't that nuts? Yeah.
1: And it's all been downhill
0: since. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that, because we have, you know, Top Gun comes out, and it's like... No, I know. Every, there's not one green screen moment in the movie, but then you go and look at the Marvel films, and I think the entirety of the Thor movie is one giant green screen. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, yeah, I. that's, you know... Anyway. Um,
1: <laughs> there's a whole can of worms that we really could dig into, but we do have to get to our list
0: at yep. uh, some anyway. point. I was going to say that's cool say, that you got a lot of that's cool that you got a lot of classics on here. So,
1: yeah, um, I was going to say, like, this is a fun list. And I especially like there is a cinematic conversation about um, black and white movies versus color movies and the sort of um, advantage advantages of each direction and how if you have a black and white movie, there's a lot of. Um, When it comes to the lighting and stuff and some of the storytelling, certain things are just a lot more direct in black and white, where in color movies, there's like a whole different, uh, no pun intended, but spectrum of issues to think about. And a lot of I I know I've heard like different movie directors and stuff preferred black and white because it because of the simplicity of it and the directness of the storytelling. And there's a really interesting aspect to all that, which uh, I think it's pretty evident in the fact that. a lot of like there's still movies being made in black and white, you know, every couple years, there'll be something that comes out in black and white that's just mind blowing. So I just think yeah. it's awesome. It's a fun conversation. My list, as well as yours, um, you know, goes from like classic films to current films. So that's really fun, too. Um, do you have any, any
0: honorable mentions? Um, do I have any honorable mentions? I have two. Yes.
1: OK, I have two as well. So since it's your list, I guess I will start.
0: Um, yeah, go ahead.
1: Okay. So my first honorable mention, I feel like is pretty obscure, but I went with this movie called Fears of the Dark. Um, and this is, I believe it's a European film, but it's a uh, animated horror anthology film. So it's, uh, it's five or six stories that are um, animated all in black and white. And they're all just short horror stories. Um, and they're all um, kind of spearheaded or directed or whatever by like independent comic artists and stuff like that. And it's just kind of like a really unique sort of just cool movie if you like a like if you like horror movies or horror anthologies, but also just if you like uh, just cool animation and just cool like if you like the art of storytelling, this is just kind of a really cool out there movie to check out. This is one of those things that I found at a Blockbuster. It was, I don't know if you remember when Blockbuster used to sell like all of their old DVDs for really cheap. And this is one of those things that I snagged up at like a Blockbuster sale like that. And uh, it was just one of those like, hey, this looks cool. And then I watched it and it was cool. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I've actually not seen this. so I don't really know much about it, but Nice. Yeah. Um, So I don't have any, unfortunately, uh, any review for you. Um, (laughs) My first honorable mention, this is a bit of a cheat, but that's why it's an honorable mention. There's only one section of the movie that's shot in black and white, Um, but it's a really amazing sequence of the movie. um, And that's Kill Bill volume one. Okay, Uh, nice. Just and that's why it's an honorable mention. The whole movie's in color except for that one sequence. But they did it. And this is one of those things where. It's for the lighting. It's for the gore. It desensitizes the gore a little bit, and it makes that fight scene really cool in the idea of the old-school Japanese samurai, you know, films. Um, So there's a lot to that. Um, But, yeah, there you go. That's Kill Bill. We've talked about it a lot. I just—that's—it's just a really cool moment. Yeah, so—
1: Yeah, I I obviously did think of Kill Bill while putting my list together. And I love um, how just experimental uh, Quentin Tarantino is thinking uh, when he put like all the visuals of those films together. So this is definitely a great pick Um, since I guess I was like trying to be pretty strict with whether my list was like full on black and white movies. So this didn't make my list, but I definitely think it's a good pick. And like you said, it is a really awesome sequence in there that's in black and white. So uh, yeah, good call. Um, Moving into my next pick or my next honorable mention. And this one I think is a bit of a cheat as well. I went with uh, Sin City and that's just because like it is a black and white movie, but there are color elements. So it is a little bit blends a little bit. Like if you're going to be a purist, you could say this doesn't count, but uh, I totally think it does. Like they obviously were really, Thinking of black and white storytelling, especially the sort of indie comic black and white storytelling with this movie that the movie is obviously highly based on. So this movie is awesome. We've talked about it so much. I don't really know what more to say. But when it comes to black and white movies and especially when it comes to that sort of composing a shot in a black and white sort of way, this might actually top my list as far as just like cool cinematics and like just the way they framed the shots. I think there's like visually, there's a lot of just really awesome stuff in sin city. So there you yeah. go.
0: Yeah. Right on. Um, okay. So sin city. Yeah, I hear you. And this is sin city is a lighting thing specifically. Um, the comics are black and white. So they're going to adapt it as best as they can, but it's a lot of green screen work. So it's like, oh, absolutely. It's not your standard black and white movie. Um, all right, so my next one is a little bit more of an older one um, and that's Doctor Strange Love or how it's I stopped good or how I stopped worrying and loved the bomb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, this movie is that like, it's that Cold War who's going to push the button first kind of thing. It's a really funny movie. Um, and the humor is very dry and kind of played straight and it's it's that po- it's that apocalyptic who's going to push the button first. Um, yeah, I haven't added. I actually haven't sat and had a chance to sit down and watch this movie in a while, but it's fantastic. Um, and it's also one of those like classics in the sense that um, you mentioned Dr. Love, and people immediately know what you're talking about. And um, I also feel like there's a little bit of a cult thing where there's always someone in the room that knows what you're talking about. But there's at least six people that might not 100 <laughs> percent know what you're talking about. <laughs> right on um you said you bar- you apparently like this movie because of your reaction so
1: yeah no it's it's hilarious and it's really great and um this is uh stanley kubrick right yeah and it's you don't really often see i don't know has he done any other like comedies in this way
0: Uh kubrick done comedies
1: because yeah. I feel like this might this is probably his funniest movie, which is really refreshing. But no, this movie is <laughs> awesome.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, definitely, this is his funniest movie. <laughs>
1: but it's it's a uh, it's an awesome pick. And I remember, um, I don't know if it was AMC or I almost want to say G4 maybe. There was a TV station that used to play Doctor Strangelove all the time, and that was really awesome too. So uh, no, great pick for sure. Um, yeah. So what's your first actual pick for the night? So my first actual actual pick, I went with uh, the original Psycho, actually. Um, This is an interesting pick because, um, Drew, you would know this, but like I grew up in a household where I wasn't allowed to watch like R-rated movies or even PG-13 rated movies. Like a lot of the time when I, you know, before I was of age and uh, for some reason, I don't know why our parents didn't care if we watched Psycho. (laughs) I think it's because it's like a classic, but like it definitely has like a lot of mature themes and deals with killing people and stuff. But I don't know. I always really enjoyed watching Psycho. I think it's like, it definitely holds up. Like it's definitely a um, sort of touchstone that uh, critics love to hold newer horror movies to. But I also remember the sci-fi channel back in the day used to play the psycho sequels, which drew, I don't know if you've ever watched like psycho two or three, but, um, they came a lot later and I remember getting pretty into the psycho lore of like Norman Bates and, uh, his relationship to his mom and kind of those sequel stories that played into, uh, the backstory Mm. of all that, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, psycho, um, this movie, I, I, I'd seen it a lot. I've seen it a few times. Yeah. But the, like watching it in film school though, that was kind of fun because yes, I've seen the movie. Yes, I've seen it a couple times, you know, things, you know, the history, you learn things and then you go and watch it in a class with film students. And as soon as the movie's over, you got to discuss it. It, it was very eye opening in the sense that you, it's almost like you start watching the movie differently when you're in that setting. Um, yeah. And I just thought that was really like that. That's, really cool when you put it into that perspective and you're like oh well you know this is you know i i don't really know if i'm wording myself properly i feel like i'm stumbling over my sentences um but uh there's a movie i want to say it's actually titled i just want to say it's titled hitchcock okay there's two hitchcock films um but i think the one i'm referring to is the one that's actually titled hitchcock which uh scarlett johansson plays janet lee And it's all about the filming of Psycho. Um, Really, really good movie if you want a little bit more background on the Psycho stuff and, like, putting the movie together. Yeah, that That sounds awesome. And there's this great moment in the movie. So Scarlett Johansson plays Janet Lee. So she's the girl that's going to get murdered in the movie, right? But the whole idea, the background of how he's, like, you know, you have this acclaimed director and he wants to make this movie called Psycho. And the studio doesn't like the idea and all that stuff. So you get to see all the behind the scenes with that. But I love that there's a great moment. It's probably my favorite moment in the movie where the audience is watching Psycho in the theater and Hitchcock himself won't go into the theater. He's actually standing on the other side of the closed doors, just kind of listening and kind of pacing back and forth. And he hears the music. So he knows the shower scenes coming and then the reaction from the audience. Um, and he's like, yes, I got it. That's you know what I mean? It's like kind of like, doing <laughs> nice. little, like he's doing this little like dance in the hallway because he's like, yes, they see what I'm saying, you know. You know, they're mm-hmm. reacting the way I wanted them to. And it's just that moment where, like, the creator's like, that's what I wanted, you know. um, Yeah, that was all. Like, I just really, I just really like that sequence. So Nice. Yeah, that actually sounds pretty cool. I might want to hunt that down later. So. Yeah, you might. <laughs> I believe it's Psycho. I be, I'm sorry, I believe the movie Hitchcock, Psycho, but yeah. there's two different Hitchcock films. The one I'm talking about has Scarlett Johansson in it. That should help.
1: <laughs> okay, nice. So,
0: uh, but I love Psycho. It's a really, really cool movie. Um, I do think that that story got a little convoluted when you roll in like the television show and like the other movies and stuff like that. Like that that original one was such a classic.
1: <laughs> well, um, the other movies I can say back when I was in grade school watching them on the Sci-Fi Channel were pretty badass. <laughs> I don't right. know with I don't know how they hold up, but back in the day, I thought they were awesome.
0: <laughs> right. Well. Um, yeah, so let's talk about one that does hold up big time, and I'm going to talk about this very, very briefly. Um, we've talked enough about the movie. We don't have to go any further with it, um, but this is more the reason this makes my list is because it is a master class in lighting. This is a movie that if you want to know how to light properly, you do it like this. This movie was intended to be in black and white, but they forced the director to release it in color, but he gave us a black and white cut anyway, and I'm referring to Zack Snyder's Justice League. Nice. Uh, It's, it's a, like, aside from the movie being great, if you want to know how to light a scene, watch um, the black and white cut of Justice League. It's absolutely beautiful. And, yeah, it's modern day film technique, so it's going to look better, obviously, but it is gorgeous when you look at how, like, just the cinematography and all that stuff in that black and white space. Um, So,
1: no, that's that's great. and I think um, Zack Snyder, like I think when you really look whether you like his movies or not, when you really look at the lighting in his movies, like they are very masterfully lit. Like there's a lot of uh, a lot of like the Snyder cult fans will do these like memes where they'll show like a Batman v. Superman screenshot compared to like some mcu movie screenshot and like say like oh you know the batman v superman one is way better as far as the lighting goes and like i don't mean i'm not bringing this up to like talk crap on the mcu but what i've really seen from those kinds of memes is actually that like no Zack snyder does have like really sophisticated just really good lighting in his movies and again like you might not like his movies at all but you have to admit like they're lit like beautifully you know what i
0: mean so. yeah. yeah 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 um anyway um what's your next pick of the night
1: okay so kind of in a completely different direction i went with a movie we've actually talked about this one before but i went with uh, young frankenstein <laughs> so this is uh, <laughs> okay. mel brooks like you know, parody of Frankenstein and uh, it's shot in black and white to be more akin to the classic universal monster movies. But this movie's hilarious. I it's a movie that I watch every time I see it on. It's, it has so many quotable lines. And I actually like this movie because a lot of it, I think when you compare it to like a movie like um, History of the World Part One, for example, that movie can get really crude with some of the humor and stuff. And I think young Frankenstein, even though like it has like some crude jokes, I think overall, like there's, it's a little bit more innocent. It's a little bit more tongue in cheek and stuff. And I, I think that makes it really accessible in a really good way. So it's kind of one of those really good go-to movies. If you're having a Halloween party or something like that, you know, um, which is pretty great. So yeah. yeah. I
0: right don't um, no, I, a Young Frankenstein, um, there's just these, first, uh, Mel Brooks is always great, but I'm thinking, like, there's so many great little bits with, um, like, the Igor Igor thing, and, <laughs> um, the lady's name that makes the horses. Yeah, it's like Frau Brooker or
1: something like that, yeah. like, well, I don't know how to say
0: it. <laughs> yeah, what, Frau
1: Frau Brooker or something. I don't know. Yeah, what, I mean, it's like a, it's like a name. Dude.
0: Every time they say the name, the horses like freak out. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, they just there's little there's little bits like that, and then there's really really subtle sexual innuendos. Um, there's a lot of those too. Um, and mm-hmm. then the brain in the jar thing. Um, they just set the they set the state like it just sets it up so beautifully, in like these tiny little like jokes that are just embedded in the thing that. They're taking this horror element and telling a serious story and they're embedding these tiny little jokes of the subtleness and the humor just is layered just so nicely. Um, One of my favorite jokes is when they have uh, Gene Wilder at the beginning
1: of the movie when he's like teaching a class and uh, he's like ranting about stuff and he gets so – heated and stuff and he has like ai don't know if it's a pen or a letter opener or something and he gets so angry and he like stabs it into his leg and then he tries to play it cool like it doesn't <laughs> like it doesn't hurt <laughs> like he's trying to pretend he didn't just do the stupidest thing you've ever seen and just the way that plays out <laughs> is
0: so hilarious yeah no yeah this is a fantastic pick i actually this doesn't change my list but i did forget about young Frankenstein. i was putting this oh, um all right so my next pick this this is the one that's the act this is the one that's the cheat um and that's because of part like the tiniest section of the movie is in color um but this is more about the um subject matter and the story they were telling and um interfering with people's lives and you know that kind of thing but i'm talking about the movie pleasantville
1: okay um, i thought this might have been coming so
0: nice <laughs> okay yeah so pleasantville um I mean, Tobey Maguire, Reese Witherspoon, they are in a normal world and they get Tobey Maguire's just a fan of this one black and white TV show and they get zapped into the TV and have to figure out how to like, I don't know if it's a figure out how they get out or try and live and survive through it and eventually try and figure out how to get home. But they're in this TV show and Tobey Maguire is like the expert because he's watched every episode 12 times and um, he knows what episode they're in and all that stuff. But and Reese Witherspoon's just kind of along with him for the ride, trying to survive and figure it out. And they make changes, which yeah. be, are the changes good or the changes bad. And it's the way the world evolves around them and they start altering the lives of these characters and the perception of life itself. It's just really interesting. And then you get into this bizarre social commentary about racism in a really weird way, because. Right characters like everything's black and white and then as they make changes things start becoming color (laughs) you know um and people aren't liking it and when i say color i mean like well now her lips are red because she's wearing lipstick but now you can see the color red or you can see the color of someone's hair or their shirt is now you could see that their sweater is yellow or you know what i mean like things are coming out in that sense um it's a really really cool movie um I, I feel like it's probably a really important movie. Maybe we should all watch now, <laughs> now that I'm talking about it. Um, I
1: think, um, well, one thing you said, because you, you mentioned that Reese Witherspoon's like there and along for the ride, but just think about it now. Like she's actually, I think if she wasn't there, the changes in this black and white Pleasantville world probably wouldn't have started happening because wouldn't have. Toby Maguire's character, he knew the show like the back of his hand and he would have just, carried on, and made sure that everything just went along purposely, perfectly as it's supposed to in this world. But Reese Witherspoon was uh, the type of character who's going to live like a like her modern-day, normal teenage girl self would live in this world, and that's when things start changing. So I think that's really interesting. But uh, Pleasantville's awesome. This is actually on Hulu right now, I want to say. I was actually watching it a week or two ago, but um, no, in it's—, it's What's that?
0: And prep for the list?
1: (laughs) No, I just happened to be watching it. (laughs) Okay. It was on Hulu. I was like, oh, I haven't seen this in a long time. But no, it, it is a really cool movie. It is the idea of getting sucked inside of a TV show is kind of a, it's kind of like an old TV show trope in a way. But this movie plays off of that. And it does like, it does have the really cool social commentary aspect. It kind of has a cool, um... Um, it's got it has the cool artistic cinematography aspects of like black and white mixed with color and how like the different choices they make from a cinematography standpoint are pretty interesting. Sure. But it also has that, like you said, the social commentary and it almost kind of becomes like a weird indictment on um, or maybe criticism on like even 50s culture in a weird way where it's like. You know, the 1950s, everybody wants to remember it as like this picture perfect, you know, leave it to beaver sort of world. But there actually was a lot of just like social problems that were swept under the rug at the time and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Great pick. Um, like you said, probably a more important movie than a lot of us even realize. So,
0: yeah. Um All right, man. What's your first one? What's your next one? I mean. <laughs> Yeah. uh, So my next one, one, you know, (laughs)
1: I've I've I also went with another one that we've talked quite a bit about, so I don't have to go on too long. But I went with uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, I really I really do like going back and watching the old Universal Monster movies, but I think I like this one the best. And that's just because. It has that whole adventure story aspect. Like, it really does have that cool adventure story meets creature feature aspect. But speaking of creature features, I kind of feel like this movie is kind of, after it came out, I feel like it was kind of the creature feature template moving forward. Like, even if you think of more modern movies, like, I almost feel like the movie Anaconda owes a lot to Creature from the Black Lagoon, for example, and stuff like that. But no, this movie's great. I think it has a. Uh, when you watch it, like, some of the tropes in it seem really played out, but that's just, again, like, because of how influential it actually is. And when you watch it, it does have, like, just some really cool classic uh, shots and stuff like that when it comes to how to tell a, uh, a horror story, you know? Um and, I mean, I've praised this movie before, so I've talked about how much I like the uh, the Man suit. You know, the, the creature suit from this movie is really good. And it actually kind of holds up in a way that, like, it doesn't look that unrealistic when you compare it to similar monster movies from the same time period. So, uh, yeah, Drew, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Like I said, we've talked about this one plenty of times before.
0: Well, this one, this is a creature feature that I really really like mm-hmm. uh, there's some for the time period doing some of the underwater shooting they did is kind of impressive mm-hmm. get it from a technical standpoint but just the story level it's one it's one of those creature features that i actually got really into the story like yeah. really into the story um and i think it lends like when you look at let's just jump ahead to shape of water and this was clearly inspiration to del Toro's shape of water yeah um but, like, this is one of those, like, I just really, really liked the story of this. And the creature was believable the whole time. The makeup, the costuming, like, really cool. So, yeah, Creature from the Black Laguna. I remember, I have vivid memories of actually sitting down watching this, like, oh, I'll check this out. And then just getting completely sucked in. so Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's all I got right now. But, yeah, Creature from the Black yeah. <laughs> um So, speaking of creature features, for my next pick... We're going to be talking about Ed Wood. Um, Oh,
1: nice. I forgot about this one. This is a great movie,
0: though. (laughs) This is uh, Tim Burton's Ed Wood, which it was shot in black and white specifically to tell this story. But it's about the director, Ed Wood, who's considered the worst director in the history Mm of the industry. And... um, Edwood's Wood's uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space is considered the worst film ever made in the history of the industry. But he did a lot of but he did a lot of like creature feature stuff like you know Frankenstein's and Dracula's and just and he tried to do it as fast as possible, single takes only, that kind of thing. Um so <laughs> Like we got to make it fast. We got to get it in. Well, I'm just remembering do one take, <laughs> and he'd be like, "We got it." And they're like, "You sure you don't want to?" No, we got it. Like <laughs> I
1: remember in the movie, um, like after every single take he would do, no matter what, he'd just be like, "It's perfect," and then just move on. And it's like it doesn't matter what went wrong; like it was right. just perfect in his eyes.
0: Right. Um. Uh, the movie is great, and they do a lot of creature stuff. When you get to see some of the old school, like makeup and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, um. So, yeah, no, this is a really, really cool movie. I haven't watched it in a while. Johnny Depp, Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, this is a movie – I have not watched this movie in a long time, but uh, it's on my shelf. It's a collection completion kind of a thing for me. Um, what, uh, your thoughts on this? No, I. this is a movie that
1: a friend showed to me in college, and I just thought it was great. And it's one of those things that, like, you know this – This movie would never have been made if it wasn't for the fact that just I have the feeling that Tim Burton just loves Ed Wood and like Ed Wood's probably such a big influence on Tim Burton, like. It's kind of weird that this movie ever got made, to be honest, because I think Tim Burton was just probably that much of a fanboy that he was just like, this is the movie that I want to make because this is one of my favorite directors and we're just going to do this. But it's it's a really good <laughs> movie. This. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a really good movie. And it's kind of like it's one of those things like Wood is known as the worst director of all time. But it's a really endearing look on that director. And it really um it just gives you a lot of perspective on like, I don't know. I feel like the movie in a weird way is about the love of creating, creating movies or just creating things in general, you know, and it really shows a really endearing look on the sort of passion and ambitions of, uh, Ed Wood. And, uh, it's also cool because the movie kind of documents how Ed Wood kind of brought, uh, Bella Lugosi, who's famous for playing Dracula, of course, but it kind of brought him back into the limelight. Like, uh, Ed Wood like Bella Lugosi was a little bit washed up and Ed Wood was like no I want you to star in my movies because I loved your uh, classic Dracula films and uh, there's kind of a cool heartwarming uh, tragic relationship that the movie exper- uh, uh, explores there as well so yeah great pick yeah
0: um, yeah all right dude what's your next one
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, moving along, I actually, for my next pick, I went with, and I don't know if you're saving this one or not, but I actually went with Clerks, which (laughs) seems pretty timely with the, uh, trailer that we were talking about earlier, but, um, we both love Kevin Smith movies and we've talked so much about Kevin Smith movies on this podcast. It's hard to know what to say, but I think Clerks is, um, It's one of those things where it was shot black and white because it it was kind of more of a budgetary concern for this indie film that Kevin Smith was putting together. But then because of the black and whiteness, it actually really lent into the sort of slacker culture mentality that Kevin Smith was trying to portray. And it kind of just becomes this really perfect thing that it's like it's black and white because it should be black and white. And the movie In a weird way, like, I mean, Kevin Smith is obviously a big comic book guy, but there's a weird, in my mind, there's a weird sense of, like, it's almost akin to, like, weird, like, independent black and white autobiographical comic books that are out there and stuff like that. There's some sort of uh, kinship between this movie and that sort of autobiographical indie comic spirit that's out there but um yeah drew i don't know if you have any comments on clerks we've talked about this movie
0: so much but (laughs) um well we matched nice and it was funny because that was the next one i was going to bring up regardless oh awesome um and yeah we've talked about this movie a lot it's phenomenal it's great um literally everything you just said i honestly don't know (laughs) i honestly don't know what else to say about it um and yeah, I think it's I think it's perfect that the movie is in black and white like it is. The um, I love, and I'm going to jump to Clerks two real quick because I love the scene at the end because because Clerks two is in color except for the last shot of the movie when the camera they pan the camera back yep. it shifts into black and white because of the callback to the original film and it's just beautiful. Um, and it works out really well and it plays really well and that's that's honestly. You needed that movie to be black and white. You really did. Just when you look at their perspective, you needed it to be. So. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, this is, but it's also another one of lighting. There's some really cool lighting stuff. Um, and I might not have been intentional. It might've been completely accidental because it was a first movie kind of a thing. But when you look at um, some of the outside stuff with like Jay and Silent Bob hanging outside the quick stop with just yeah. the lamp lighting the scene and that kind of thing. Um, some of that stuff, I think, was done – it could have been done intentional, but it, there's also a chance it was accidental at the same time. Um, yeah, like a happy accident. Like, they only had one light
1: to use, so that's what they ended up using. But it actually – it breaks things down more simply, and it helps the light – the lighting really accentuates, like, the focal point of what they're filming as opposed to yeah. – um, it just being like natural lighting or like bringing in a bunch more lights that were would maybe overly complicate things. Like it might've just been a happy accident that worked out really well. So, yeah. Um, What is your final pick for the night? Yeah. My final pick for the night. I actually don't know if we've talked about this one on the show before, which is kind of surprising, but I went with the 1968 film night of the living dead. And uh, this is a movie that, When it comes to zombie films, this is definitely in my top five. This might this is probably within my top two or three. Like, I think that this movie is great. I think it's one of those things that you watch it and it holds up so well. Like you don't it holds up better than you think when it comes to the storytelling, when it comes to there's all these little bits where you hear like radio clips and stuff talking about where it's like a radio announcer talking about the the zombie outbreak and how you're supposed to kill the zombies and what's going on. And uh, by the time you get to the end of the movie, it leaves you with this really bleak sort of cliffhanger that has these really sort of cool apocalyptic implications by the time you finish watching the film, which I think is awesome. But when it comes to like this movie holding up, like it's actually pretty gory and stuff like I think certain moments of the movie, like the very first uh, zombie they show is kind of this weird looking guy in the graveyard at the beginning of the film. And I feel like his makeup might look a little bit dated and stuff. But when it comes to uh, later on in the movie, when everybody's at like this uh, farmhouse that they're staying in and um, there's like the house is surrounded by zombies. There's a lot of parts like I remember there's the sequence where it shows a lot of the zombies eating human flesh and like the people inside are looking out the window and like freaking out and the flesh they're eating like it's kind of obviously different kinds of like animal meat but the fact that it's shot in black and white there's like that much more of a color filter that's eliminated where it makes it more believable that like oh no the, they're actually literally eating human body parts and when it comes to that scene, like you think of just how the gore from that actually holds up pretty well. Um, the Night of the Living Dead, like if you're into zombie movies, this is a must see. And I really think this isn't only like, it's not the first zombie movie. So you can't say it's the one that started them all, but it did start the sort of newer George A. Romero inspired zombie horde type of movies. And I think, this is just one that I love because you watch it and it just, it's shocking how well it holds up with modern eyes,
0: if that makes sense. So yeah. And yeah. this is where I feel like you're burying the weed just a little bit because night of the living dead. Yeah. It's not the first zombie movie, but it is the movie that made zombies a thing. No, it, it's <laughs> like kind it, of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it like, it like basically made, it put zombies on the map as a legitimate threat in the realm of science fiction horror fantasy stuff yeah um and you're absolutely right it's a like this is a movie that holds up um the quibble i have with it is you don't the first few zombies you see you don't even really know that they're zombies It just like yeah. the first zombie you see is just this weird guy that this lady's freaked out about and she doesn't you don't really understand why she's freaked out about it right away <laughs> yeah so, yeah um and that's until they start getting them into—they're they're all, like, stuck in the house, and they're trying to, like, trying to survive, and the zombies are trying to get in and everything. But it's—this is the movie that made zombies what they are today. Like, we wouldn't yeah. have—you wouldn't have Walking Dead if this didn't exist. Um, And all the other zombie movies, they all, like—it's all because of the George, the George Romero um, movement, I guess you could say. Yeah, um, and, and I guess I can, like, uh expound
1: upon that, because, like, I guess— I want to say this is the first zombie movie, but there was zombie movies before this, but a lot of them were pretty goofy and they, a lot of them dealt more with the sort of voodoo sort of zombie lore where it's more of like, almost like somebody is hypnotized or it's like a dead body being controlled as opposed to it being like this sort of virus that uh, is causing the dead to walk the earth and stuff. And this movie, like I, I can't, say enough how much of a game changer it it was for zombie movies and how like George A. Romero kind of created the modern zombie lore where it comes to just how you kill zombies, how they work, like just everything. Like I remember one of those radio segment bits from the movie talks about like in order to or yeah, in order to kill the ghoul, you have to kill the ghoul's brain. And like this is like the movie that invented like you have to kill the zombie's brain to kill the zombie and there's so many things from this one specific movie that we're still using as like the you know worldwide lore for uh just zombie properties in general so it's just it was a game changer i didn't mean to like undermine that at all oh no
0: i didn't think you did i just was like i feel like you're burying the lead man this is the zombie <laughs> right on right on we don't get to where we are if this movie doesn't exist you know yeah so, yeah all right. Um, well, my final pick of the night is is an actual classic. This is a, I absolutely love this movie. Um, and I feel like it's a little cliche for me to even bring it up when you go. What 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 classic movies? Um, because we didn't talk about like It's a Wonderful Life, for example. Um, made my short list, but yeah. Told I'm not a big fan of It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I actually, We've had this conversation yeah, before, too. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not a big fan. I mean, I get it. I'm just not a big fan. Um, But no, I'm talking about, the movie I'm talking about tonight is Casablanca. Um, Oh, absolutely. I know I I I brought it up before, but this movie is absolutely, I just really, really like this movie. This is a movie that um, I made sure I own on Blu-ray. I've watched it several times since I got it. Um, I don't want to say it's a once a year watch, but every now and then there's a, you know, I haven't watched that in a while and I'll throw it in. Um, But yeah, this, I don't know if you have anything to say about it, but um, I just, I really liked the story. I really liked what they were doing with that i it to me this was kind of a one of those groundbreaking films this falls in the category of like jaws and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so it's like you know you go back from jaws what's the next jump it's casablanca you know (laughs) so um yeah this also was a best picture winner um but yeah thoughts on the movie go
1: ahead i mean it's it's hard to it's hard to know what to say it's been a very long time since i've seen this but um it is a great film i think When it comes to, like, memorable lines and memorable moments, like, this is obviously a classic that will be remembered through the years. But um, I think when I watched it, I appreciated that it was kind of this, like, intricate story that took place within uh, World War II, correct? And I actually didn't know before watching it that I thought it was just like a romance movie, so I didn't know it would have to do have to do with like the intricacies of a war and stuff like that. And um no, it's it's just a great film. Like nobody's gonna argue with with that.
0: But uh yeah, I don't know. There was <laughs> a to know
1: where, where really it
0: There was a really funny um uh in college there was I had a friend of mine trying to so we were going out to the bar one night with some friends and I remember a friend of mine was like, I've never been there, what's it like? And he goes, did you ever see Casablanca? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, it's like Rick's Cafe without the (laughs) Nazis. (laughs) Nice. And I just like, and I literally looked at him like, what? (laughs) I think he was just waiting to use that line. It's like Rick's Cafe without the Nazis. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, great movie. Anyway, um, that's our black and white list. Um, You should should watch every movie on those lists. Um, They're all great. Um, Peter, what are we doing next week? Yeah, so this is a a
1: list I've been sitting on. Um, I've actually been sitting on this since we started watching the Moon Knight show. And I didn't do it, but I feel like it's actually relevant again because of Thor and Love and Thunder coming out. But I thought it would be fun to talk about our top five characters from pop culture that are portraying portraying gods or deities. So you could go. Yeah. So top five god characters. And I don't know. We could discuss this more, but I don't know if we should do only like actual God portrayals that come from like, you know, I don't know if it should all be like adaptations from mythology and stuff like that, or if we should include like Dungeons and Dragons, for example, has like a ton of different gods within its universe. And I don't know if we should bring in like the fictitious gods as well. But I thought this would be a fun list to go through, especially since we did just get Moon Knight and you have like Kanchu and stuff and we have a new Thor movie coming out and I feel like it's just a fun idea that I don't think really gets talked about very
0: much so I thought this would be a fun list to go with yeah I'm totally down um I if I had to make a guess you have to open it up to any deity uh, I think that works too yeah because I feel like you're shorting the, you're you're shorting the the, the stack a little to bit pick too, out too much yeah you know what I mean yeah um, I, I would agree with that. I think that opens up a lot more uh, possibilities. So, um, so yeah, it'll make more of a variety of a list. So that sounds cool. I'm down. I'm surprised that we haven't thought about this before. Uh, <laughs> right. On. But good call. So um, we'll talk about that next week, and we'll have our Thor review. I don't know if you're seeing it this weekend, but I'll have mine. So I'm hoping I get to see it. Um, it's kind of up in the air, but I'm gonna do my best. Right. <laughs> so. And hopefully, it is better than Batman and Robin. <laughs> um That being said, do us all a favor and check out our website, topfireport.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with the link to our email, um top report at gmail.com. You can head us up on the email, social media, either way it works. Um we are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can
1: follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre. And that's where I'll be explaining how I missed the enchantment under the sea dance because I was busy watching the Pleasantville Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so
0: I That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> but i get that. <laughs> um but i love the crossover anyways nice. <laughs> um the top five report i'm drew i'm peter and uh we'll see you next week thanks for listening